0: My name is Jordan Ross, and thanks for listening to What's Your Limp? I'm an actor and the host of this podcast, but I also happen to have cerebral palsy and scoliosis resulting in a limp. That limp led to vicious bullying in high school, limited opportunities as an actor, a number of insecurities, and severe depression. However, over time, I slowly learned to open up about my feelings, which showed me that I'm not alone because the more I opened up, the more others opened up to me. I quickly learned that everyone has a limp, whether it's physical or internal. I stopped seeing my limp as a weakness and began to see it as an asset. And that's the goal of this podcast is to help others do the same. So as you listen to my conversations with some of your favorite actors, athletes, singers, and public figures, listen closely because you might just find out that some of them struggle with the exact same limp as you. So let's all learn to love our limps together. What is up, my fellow limpers? This is your host, Jordan Ross, and thank you for listening to another episode of the What's Your Limp podcast. Today, I'm chatting with author Laura Wiffler, who uh, has written a lot of different books, but the book that we talk about in this episode is her children's book, Like Me, which is all about uh, children with disabilities and how to educate our uh, able-bodied children to interact with them and to, to find the bridges that connect them and, and the similarities that they have while also celebrating the differences of others. So it's, it's a really beautiful book with a really beautiful message. Uh, and Laura herself actually has a daughter with disabilities, which is what inspired uh, her to write this book. And I have a daughter with autism, so uh, it hit really close to me as well. And it's a topic that I'm very passionate about. So. I had such a blast chatting with Laura about all of that. Um, And we also talk a little bit about, you know, the relationship between faith and healing, which is another common theme on the podcast, considering uh, my role in The Chosen and uh, the the big scene that uh, little James had last season uh, that addressed that same uh, subject. Uh, And I'm really excited for you to hear our conversation. So without further ado, sit back, relax, enjoy my conversation with Laura Wiffler and this original intro music by Devin Levi. Give him a follow at Devin Levi Music. hello how are you doing
1: oh my goodness so good it's so fun to meet you
0: i know it's great meeting you too i'm glad we were able to sync up finally
1: i know so many reschedules but i get I it I feel like between the two of us man
0: <laughs> yeah thank you for being so flexible i there was oh, yeah. every time like there'd be something That's where i cute. have to go out of town or would get sick or whatever so yeah Seriously,
1: how was italy
0: It was amazing. It was nonstop, but it was, uh, it was really, really cool. I had been like two days, um, in the past and we were just like traveling all over Europe, like 10 years ago for our honeymoon. Um, but this was the first time I actually got to like really be there and immerse myself in it for, you know, a week or so. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was really cool.
1: It was fun to see your pictures.
0: Oh, cool! Thank you. I um I was just actually finished rereading your book. By the way, um mm-hmm. my kids love it, and I had already like I saw that you followed me on Instagram, and I was like, oh, that's cool, and I like saw the what you do and and the how passionate you are about advocating for the disabled community and. Um, I was already planning on reaching out to you whenever your team reached out. So it was, it was perfect. So,
1: um,
0: I, I want to talk more about that, but usually I start like at the beginning. So. What was you know childhood like for you? Where'd you grow up? All that fun stuff.
1: I was probably born in Baltimore, Maryland. So I currently live in Ames, Iowa. So a little bit of a different culture, it feels like, in Baltimore. But um, my dad was an artist and we traveled around kind of the East Coast for a lot of his art shows. And I don't remember a lot of it since I was so young, but I know we were out there for him to do ceramics and fine art and different things like that. Um, I feel like I wish Instagram had been around at the time for him to be able to show all the cool things that he had done. Um, but eventually, I think the call to family was pretty strong for my parents. So we came back to the Midwest, which is where my parents were from. And we moved around quite a bit when I was a kid, Nebraska, Kansas City, a few different houses and things in there. And then finally landed in Iowa when I was in third grade. Um so from there I have kind of stuck around through college and um we ended up I went to Iowa State here um I I feel like it's kind of one of the major universities in Iowa there's kind of two big ones so yeah. state Iowa State and then ended up um meeting my husband and kind of have a crazy engagement story we were actually engaged twice which we could get into at some point yeah uh, and then landed up in Minnesota. How far am I supposed to go on my list? No,
0: however far you want. <laughs> I, I I usually as I hear things that I'm like, oh, I want to go back to that. Okay. I'll 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 like make Don't little mental me. notes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I, well um, I do want to hear. So what what was your how did you get engaged twice? What was that story? Yes.
1: Okay. Well, I I can look back now and say that I am a product of purity culture, you know, that kind of um Thing that went around in Christendom, where it was very much high pressure on who you date and who you marry, and right. it was like you know, the the standards were very high. Um, And so, I feel like I was probably raised in that culture, not necessarily by my parents or anyone in specific, but just the waters that I swam in. That was. Um, a big pressure is finding that right person. And, you know, you date to you date to marry and marriage is for life and all good things. But at times I think the pressure was pretty um heavy on me. And so in particular for me, I'd actually never dated anyone else besides my now husband. And we dated for about two years in college. He was older than me, so it was actually a long distance relationship. He graduated, and so we weren't in town together. Um and to keep a long story somewhat short we were sort of talking about getting engaged um but and i started to feel like uncertain about it and just unsure but i also knew that i loved him and so i shared with him i said i don't know i just feel really nervous i feel this things like anxiety and nervousness like What does this mean? And it just felt not like the fairy tales that you hear other people having, like, I was sure, like, I couldn't wait and all these things. And of course, my husband was, or at the time, boyfriend was all in, but um, I had some hesitancies. But yet, people around me were like, You guys are a great fit. Go for it. Like, there's nothing that's holding you back. My parents loved him, he was a great man. So, We moved forward and got engaged um, in December, right after I had graduated. And I still felt a lot of anxiety. And in fact, I got really grumpy. I got really, I didn't want to plan the wedding. You know, we're going to these venues and I, everything was wrong. And the dramatic part of the story comes where New Year's Eve, my husband comes, I'm sorry, my boyfriend at the time, fiance actually, comes down uh, to Iowa from Minnesota and says, it's a stormy, you know, dark night. It's, it's snowing and he's on the doorstep and he is literally like, do you love me, Laura? And I'm like, yes, I know that I love you. He's like, but do you want to marry me? And I had to say, I don't know. And he said, okay, I want the ring back. And it was just devastating, hard, awful, you know, but I was too afraid to make such a hard decision because I did love him, but I couldn't figure out my feelings. And it was the best thing. That he could have done, to be honest. Um, so we didn't talk for a few months. We went our separate ways for a time, uh, but then we sort of rekindled the relationship. And I actually ended up moving to Minnesota, got a job up there. And, you know, the girl who said, I'll never move for a man, I moved. And um, we had more time together in person. I got counseling. I actually got on some medication to help with anxiety. So there were a lot of steps that we took. Um, in order to see what a real relationship could look like for us and to heal from that. So it was hard. It, it's probably not nearly as dramatic as it sounds at first, but uh, after about a year or two, we got reengaged and got married pretty quickly after.
0: Sounds like a, a Hallmark movie, like the, in the the <laughs> stormy <laughs> night, like that's like the fallout before they get back together. Exactly. Um, I, uh, I think th- I relate to a lot of that. My wife and I talk often about um some of the the damaging effects that purity culture can have and and have has had um on on her life like we got engaged we met when i was 20 and we got engaged 4 years later but we were in a place that it was kind of like we we had no money we were barely scraping to get by i was making like nothing i was doing gunfight shows at 6 flags and oh i wasn't goodness. qualified to do anything else i we were just like you know, not, not really able to, to sustain ourselves. Uh, we were striving to get help from our parents, but we were adults and we were, you know, had been together for four years. So we're like, well, we need to get married now. Like this is the time we're supposed to get married. Um, so there's kind of, the, I'm glad we did at this point because we had our, you know, daughter a year later and and everything worked out. But it was something that we definitely felt the pressure as well to like, you know you've been together 4 years and you're still not yeah. engaged like what are you doing um uh-huh. and it was you know there's there's things that as you get older and as you learn more about yourself and about um you know you kind of get out of your the echo chamber that you live in you kind of see that there are different routes and different paths and different um perspectives on everything so it's uh it's definitely a journey yeah, uh, but- yeah
1: I re- had this idea, you know, that I needed to be a stay-at-home mom. And like I just I, I go to college and then I get married and then I'm a stay-at-home mom. Like I was very much and and again, my parents though, like I couldn't point back to saying, oh, that was my parents who said that exact thing. Cause actually my mom worked. It I was raised by a working mom. But yet I thought that was like the ultimate goal, right? Is your husband supports you, you're at home raising babies. Right. Of course now I work full time and everything. But it definitely took time to just shake a lot of those, especially like Christian cultural standards, which come from a wonderful place and a good place. And like, it is a beautiful thing to be a stay at home mom. And in fact, that's an incredibly hard job. I yeah. think that that's the pinnacle of womanhood or that's the pinnacle of, um, what, what my goals should be that feels short-sighted, you know, and that feels not like you said, you, you look around, you realize, oh, there's a lot of beautiful ways to honor God. And there's a lot of beautiful ways that we can display his kingdom and that we can live faithfully in the context that he has us. But it's hard when you're starting to shake stereotypes and you're shaking years and years of slow, the slow drip of a certain message
0: yeah well because then if there's for instance if there's a, a woman or a couple that that isn't able to conceive or have a child then there's shame associated with that if if the belief is that the ultimate goal of a woman is to to be a mother and to be a stay at home mom then it's uh you kind of feel like you know i i've had friends and family that have gone through uh you know some some difficulties trying to get pregnant and have struggled with some of those insecurities and have had to kind of break those. So yeah, I, I think that that is such a powerful message. Um, speaking of like breaking old, uh, you know, habits, I was wondering, you know, you're you have written this book like me about, um, you know, how to befriend people with disabilities and, and being a, a mother to someone with disabilities. And I think that that's, so like it, obviously it's something i'm very passionate about um but i'm curious what was your before becoming a mother to a child with disabilities what was your perspective on um on faith and healing and you know people having disabilities and like a, as a christian has that has your perspective on any of that changed since becoming a mother to someone with disabilities
1: Oh man, this is a good question. You know, prior to having my daughter, I don't know that I thought a ton about healing and the theological effects or like the, um, what the realities are. I know my, my father-in-law passed away from cancer when he was maybe 54 or so. So newly married first year of marriage, actually for my husband and I, it's a lot of prayer for healing and, um, spent many a night, Uh, many an evening at different events, even just praying for the Lord to heal. And he did not choose to heal my father-in-law on this earth. Um, And that definitely was an awakening, I think, for me of just accepting whatever God has for us. And I know there's this really incredible quote from Johnny Erickson Tata, um, and she talks about about God allowing what he hates in order to um, accomplish what he loves and that has been a really defining thing for me i think all throughout uh since i got a little bit older and more acquainted with suffering um admittedly i lived a fairly charmed life until about college and uh, my parents were wonderful and i was very sheltered but then of course life happens and you know th- it's not perfect forever um yeah. and and that quote has been really helpful i think for me of just being able to be in a position to say, Lord, I receive whatever you have for me. And I know you're capable and I know you're able to do this. And I know that you can heal, but I know that sometimes you choose not to. And honestly, that was like one of the most moving things when I watched the chosen. And that's when I like saw you on Instagram is that scene where you guys are talking, you and Jesus are talking and I just, I cried, you know, I just sobbed through that whole scene. I know so many people did.
0: Me too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was,
1: it was so, it's so powerful. I could cry right now thinking about him tearing up. Um, But just that reality that at times, like that's not what God has for us. And the, and yet he's going to use our story. And, yeah. um, so yeah, I don't know. I I'm just thankful to know that we have the hope of heaven where there's the guaranteed.
0: I as a kid, I was very just content and happy and didn't really think about the fact that I walked different or had all of these surgeries or was in and out of the hospital. It was just that was what I knew and I kids are super resilient and and I um yeah, didn't really think much of it. I didn't feel bad for myself or anything. Um but then once I got into my teens and I started getting bullied a little bit more and um, kids started like pointing out the, those things about me that were different, that's when I started to view them as a negative. And uh, doing that scene in The Chosen has been huge for me and and just playing Little James in general, uh, like the Dallas uh, Jenkins had embraced my disability in season two when I have a conversation with another apostle about it. Um, And from then, that's kind of what started this snowball effect of like learning to love and embrace myself a little bit more. Uh, And I think that it's, yeah, it's just such a a powerful message. And it's something that I now like have a whole new perspective uh, on, like, and as far as how I, I view myself, but also what my role is, as, in the same way that little James kind of like discovered what his purpose is, I've always felt like acting is my purpose. And I still believe that. And it's something that I feel like I was given this passion for a reason. But now this kind of unlocked this new purpose, which is like what led to this podcast and and advocating for, for this group. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that it, and also as a parent as well. I love what you're doing because. I I never really considered as a kid what my mom was going through while I was under like under the knife and, and in a coma for two weeks at one point. And all of these things like that as a parent now, that's like your worst nightmare. And it's, you know, seeing your child in pain or or struggling is, you know, just ev- ev- the, the worst thing imaginable. And I. I admire so much what my mom was able to go through and how strong she was in those moments. Um but for you as as a a parent that that has a daughter with disabilities, what has all of that taught you and how has that um how do you think that's that's changed you when it comes to advocating for the disabled community?
1: Oh wow. Yeah. I mean, I love hearing that, you know, you think of your mom or you've thought of her a little bit more. I mean, that's like I think of that, uh, my own daughter someday, and I'm like, oh, she never needs to think of me at all. And I'm sure your mom is thinking that same thing of like, you went through enough, don't need to worry about anybody else. But it is something, like you said, it's it's gut wrenching to watch your child. And when my daughter was first diagnosed, she was diagnosed at two months old, so we knew pretty quick. We even kind of knew with pregnancy that maybe something was going on, but we weren't really sure. And I'm the type who doesn't really worry unless something's real. So I was like, oh, we're fine, you know. But at two months, we had a definitive diagnosis and. My first response and I am kind of ashamed to say this, but I will be honest was pity. I felt pity for my daughter. I felt self-pity for myself, um, pity for my older children, feeling like, "What will that be like?" And that was the probably the predominant emotion outside of grief and sorrow, of course. I was feeling this pity come in, and, you know, over time, the Lord just really worked in my heart to say pity is not the right response to disability. Like, I know that's not what you're asking for. My daughter wasn't asking for that. Like that's, that's not, and that's not God's response. And that was really convicting for me to realize that, no, I can still offer compassion. And like, that's what, that's what I'm called to offer is compassion, not, not pity, and then offer dignity. And that means not treating someone as lesser than that means not um, seeing someone as, not having value or worth or ability to contribute because for us, when our daughter was diagnosed, um, she has what's called rare chromosome disease. And that means, um, it's like a blanket term for basically a bunch of unique rare diseases that affect somebody in their genetics. And she's the only one in the world supposedly with what she has. Like they don't have wow. anyone that's exactly the same. So that meant hey, we're gonna take some guesses, right The doctors were guessing, and they said that she will probably never walk and she will probably never talk and so as a parent, you're like, that's where you're at right that's your reality. you start thinking, okay, like wow that that's a big diagnosis that's a life change that's there's a lot of impacts to that and I said before you know I don't typically um live in what's not real yet, but I went there in this moment I went there and felt like this is my life, and I mourned that. Yet, um, first of all, praise God, and he would be good either way, but she does walk and she is talking and um, just learning more and more how to speak. And she has intellectual disabilities is probably her main um, thing, but some physical things and stuff. But, um, you know, over the years, the Lord has just used disabilities in my life to, to sanctify so much out of me in the sense that realizing just like my own need for the Lord and my responses. And um, it's really taught me that there is such beauty in disability and there is that the God works in that and there is joy and there is goodness. And though life is hard and there are really sad things, there is always joy to be clung to. And um, I'm always amazed by just looking at my girl and just seeing her immense joy. And like you said, like as a kid, like you're, that's probably not the main thing you're aware of, you know, and they're going on, except then I'm over here, like really sad and feeling really bad about it. And just saying, Lord, I want to reflect her heart. And I want to, I want to reflect your heart towards her, which is full of love and joy and adoration over who she is and exactly what she's doing right now. And that has been, I think, a huge sanctification process for me. And then as I I um have kind of turned to advocacy and fell into this a little bit just realizing a lot of people are not very aware about disabilities. You know, I think there's just still a lot of education to be done. Um I didn't know anything, it's not taught in schools, you know. I felt like I was starting from ground zero and so I think that has been a really fun discovery to be able to say like, "Hey, I can partner with people um who know much more than me and be able to just just help spread the message and awareness so that it's not Feeling like such a negative thing, which I think is how a lot of yeah. people see it.
0: it's viewed kind of like as a as a liability um yes. and i I remember like being a kid uh I went to Scottish right that's where I got all of my surgeries, and they were amazing um but they I would be there, and my little sister, who you know as has no physical disabilities or anything um she would go with me. And I remember she was kids are so curious and she'd be staring at a kid in the wheelchair or in their wheelchair or on a walker or with crutches or a prosthetic. Um, and it was an opportunity for my mom to teach her. And that was something that with me, I'm so grateful that I was around that growing up and that I, you know, had roommates in the hospital that we had both just gotten a major surgery. And, um, you know, maybe the kid in the bed next to me doesn't have legs and I just got a metal rod put in my spine, but we're sitting there playing like any other two kids. And, um, I love that. Like it it taught me so much compassion and, uh, empathy, but it also expanded my view of the world that my experiences are not the only ones and that, uh, it it helps you be like more accommodating to others and thoughtful, um, towards like what their needs are. But uh, I, so that's why in particular, I love that you, I know you've written other books as well, but like the books that are targeted towards children, I think is so important because that's how we start to break those cycles. I feel like where it's not this elephant in the room anymore. It's like, oh yeah, these, you know, some kids are just different and that's yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, and I love your approach with your daughter as well, because I know for me, the biggest factor you know, growing up was having a mom that loved and adored me and also, uh, believed in me with what whatever it is that I, I, you know, was, was doing, whether I was just drawing at home or once I found acting or anything, she, she was just so supportive and so encouraging. Um, and you know, sometimes had this this conf- like probably too much confidence in me, uh, but it helped because it was that confidence that she had in me that once I got to the place where I was getting bullied and I was experiencing depression for the first time and suicidal thoughts for the first time and all of these things as a teenager, I always was able to go back to that and go back to you know this this rock that that is and and was my mom. Uh, and I'm so glad that your daughter has that as well. And I I think that what you're doing will give other kids hope. And I, I definitely my oldest daughter is uh, on the autism spectrum, we just realized uh, over the last year or so. And she is in a, a Montessori school. And it, they're super accommodating, like her, her main thing is social uh, anxiety. And okay. You know there there's meltdowns uh you know i like I like how in the book you talk about <laughs> in the waiting room there's a, you know uh, uh I think it was a girl that was like screaming and stomping in the waiting room <laughs> um so it's like I'm that definitely hit close to home because with yeah. Ellie, my oldest she you know like if if something happens, if we're playing a game and she loses or if, uh, you know, she, she can't, if she's trying to put a dress on her doll or something and it just won't go on, right. Um, it can cause a a, a full blown meltdown and then it just takes a lot of patience and waiting and just trying you know, trying to, uh, w- wait it out and then be able to talk about it. And then in social, uh, environments, she's very closed off, very quiet. Doesn't, you know, she has her headphones on a lot. She doesn't like to you know talk to to other people unless it's like you know grandma or something yeah um but i I love that uh your book is all about like this brother helping his little brother because i I definitely want to read it to my youngest uh too mm-hmm. as they get older, especially, so not only will they be able to better deal with maybe some of the outbursts of their big sister or things like that. And they don't, they maybe can learn to, you know, it's not because of them and, and, you know, not taking it personally, but then also for other kids, I, I think that it's, yeah. it's so beautiful. Um, But what was the, the origin of that, that book and and what was the, your journey and writing all of that?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, you hit on it really well there, actually. It was honestly, as a mom, I was observing, the friendships and how kids were interacting with my daughter and like I said she has intellectual disabilities so you know sometimes uh you can't understand her or sometimes you understand her but it doesn't make sense or it's you know the context seems off and so especially for kids you know taking things literally they're like thinking what what is going on here and what I realized is all they needed was for me to say hey it's okay. Her mind thinks a little bit differently than yours, but you can tell she's excited. So let's just celebrate with her. And they're like, "Okay, you know, like kids
0: Yeah.
1: They just they're looking to a parent or a wiser adult um or a grandparent, aunt, uncle, whatever that may be. They're looking for them to say, "This is good, this is bad. This is safe, this is unsafe." Right? That's our job as adults is to help children understand the world. And kids are just constantly trying to categorize the world. And so if we as parents can begin to say, disability is good, disability is safe, disability is is awesome, then I think our kids, they're going to read that, they're going to read that room, and they're going to embody that same thing. But so often, I think adults even are actually some of the worst culprits of this, where they're like, you know, their kid's like, oh, what's that? You know, pointing to a wheelchair, and the kid's just curious. They're not They're not angry, they're not afraid yet, but they're like, what's that? And the parent's like, shh, no, no, no. We'll talk about it later. We'll talk about it
0: later. <laughs> yeah. And
1: it's like, okay, to that child right now, everything just became negative. Everything. And instead, if we could say, oh, that's a wheelchair. That helps that person get where they need to go. That gives them freedom to move around. And we you know, model it with our face. I mean, it's kind of communication 101, but that kid's like, okay, cool. You know, and they're not afraid. They're not scared. And now they have a category for that wheelchair and other accessible adaptive equipment. And so- I think that that's what I saw going on because my daughter used a walker for a really long time. She had SMO, so little braces on her feet. Um, so we've had s- some adaptive equipment in our home. And I think that that is where the heart for the book came from is realizing how quickly children formed opinions on disabilities. And there's this sweet spot, I think, with kids from ages like two to 10, where I think we have a chance to really show them that disabilities do not have to be so other and they don't have to be so weird or or strange but instead it's like cool cool like this is just a part of our life this is this is the world as we live in it and so i wanted to write a story that especially for families who may not have an interaction with disabilities you know like maybe their kids aren't in schools yet or maybe um, they're homeschooled and just haven't been around a lot of other people yet um but that it would show adaptive equipment it would show what life looked like and show the the beauty in it and like the book's called Like Me and that idea is that you know there is similarities in every single person and so you can find a way that they are like you and um that was it's a line that the older brother says is like oh he just wants to be like me he wants to be included and have fun right. and at the base level you know maybe you all have different favorite colors you have different things you like to do you walk in different ways you think in different ways but like the human nature is i want to be included i want to have friends and kids are like yeah I get that, you know, and it's incredible just to see how quickly that message takes root.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, you want to love and be loved. And that's what it really all boils down to. I, in the school that my daughter's in right now, it's been the biggest blessing. Unfortunately, they're closing down uh, for a year because they're moving and and all this stuff. So we'll have to find a different school for her next year, which is a stress. But um, we, the school she's currently in. They, it's very small. There's like eight kids in her class, and she, we told them her that like when she went into it, we're like she can read, you know, anything. She writes really well. She's she'll pick up on all of that stuff really quickly, but when it comes to talking and socializing, especially in front of people, um, it's just it doesn't happen. And um, like, and it kind of started stemming. We noticed uh, for the first time the first few times was like if we're at a family gathering or especially for her birthday early on for her like her first second third birthdays when people would sing to her and she saw that the attention was on her she just would lose it and then it turned into if people would just sing happy birthday to anyone it would like trigger it and That's, she yeah. she thought that it was you know the attention was going to be on her again uh or if she did something cute and she noticed that the adults were like laughing or smiling at her then it's like we just shut down. So uh, we told her teacher all of this <clears throat> and just said, you know, uh, she she comes home and talks to us afterwards so we can share some information with you like it, that she tells us. So you'll know that she's learning. Um, and she did. She'd go to school. She would observe they never forced her to like get up and talk in front of the class or answer questions. They they would always ask if she wanted to and she would just say no or sometimes she would point at something like if they're asking a question like which one yeah. is the is the right answer or whatever. Uh, so she started to get a little more involved and would play games and and, you know, just follow the kids around at recess. But then uh, and the kids were all very accepting, but then slowly they realized because she is such a good reader, we sent them videos of her reading at home. So they were like, oh, let's pair her up with one of her classmates who's struggling reading, and let's see if she can help her like with this book. So they were like, Ellie, can you take Lily in the other room and just help her read this book? So that's how she first started talking to one of her classmates. And then slowly other kids would come in there with her and she would read to them. And now she talks to like the majority of the kids in the class, plus her teacher. Um, And it's just so cool, though, how the kids, you know, the first few months she had so much fun and they were all so sweet to her. But she never talked for the first like three months of her being there. And they just accepted it. They were just. They treated her the same as they treated any of the other classmates. Yeah, it's just really, really encouraging to see how kids uh, interact with with, you know, kids that have physical or learning disabilities or whatever it may be. Uh, And I I think we can learn a lot from them, for sure. Uh, I. I Yeah, I I think, you know, uh, still, like you said, a lot of the the pulprits are sometimes the adults, uh, you know, or usually I feel like, and uh, (laughs) I think once you get into your teens and stuff, that's when kids can, can start projecting or, you know, picking on others because of their own insecurities. But um, after that little James scene, for instance, 99% of the feedback was amazing. And people in the disabled community or people with loved ones that are uh, that felt moved by the scene. But then I had one woman who had a ministry on like a Facebook ministry page. Uh, and she did this long video about why she hated the scene because, yeah. um, you know, Jesus would have healed little James. And But it's an observable fact that not all Christians are physically healed. Um, and I think that, you know, if it was a matter of of asking and having it answered in this life then there would be no children with disabilities, you know, there would be no childhood cancer or any of that stuff. But unfortunately, that is a reality that we live in. And, uh, but I do believe that, you know, the sometimes on earth, at least the healing that we need is internal. Oh, um,
1: for sure. yeah. And
0: we can use our, our physical circumstances to, you know, help others and, and inspire others. So, Um, I kind of got into this, like I joined her Insta or her Facebook live because I saw she was live and I was really like respectful and and everything, but I knew I wouldn't really get anywhere, uh, with her in particular, but I just wanted people that maybe follow her page to see another perspective. Um, but she asked me, she was like, if you could be healed, would you? Um, and for the first time truthfully i was able to say no i wouldn't like maybe my asthma i would maybe if i could (laughs) choose to have that be healed i would but uh as far as like you know being short and having scoliosis and having a limp and all of that it's like i still feel insecure at times i still don't like you know walking past reflective surfaces like just from trauma as a teenager but i I'm so grateful for where all of that has gotten me. I'm so grateful for the perspective it's given me on life. And uh, now I view it as an opportunity where if a kid sees me walking different, I can talk to them about it. Or, you know, uh, being on on The Chosen playing this character uh, is is able to to help other people feel less alone. So um, I, I was wondering for you as a parent to someone with a disability, what's your, um I, I had Nick Vujicic on uh not too long ago. Oh. And we talked about that where it's like, he said, it's, it's interesting for parents where you, you know, may still be praying for your child to be healed, but there's also a level of acceptance and peace. So like, where are you at with all of that? Like, you know, praying for healing, but also accepting your circumstances.
1: Oh, this is, this is a really good question. And you know, depending on, I feel like the month, maybe you asked me, my answers are a little different, but I, I love hearing that you would not change it. That's actually really encouraging to me as a mom, to a kiddo with disabilities, especially not maybe knowing what she's always thinking, which is, is probably the hardest thing for me as a mom is like, I just, I remember when she was diagnosed, I said to my husband, I just, am going to want to know her thoughts. Like, I just want to know my baby girls, what she's thinking, you know, and just as a mom, you imagine all these shared secrets and especially with your daughter, you know, you just have these, Oh yeah, we we're going to talk about this and think about this. And I really felt like, I'm so scared. I won't know her heart. I'm so scared. And, um, Oh, just so much, so many truths of scripture that play into that. of like, God, knowing her heart. And like, that is ultimately what matters. And I can trust him with that. But, you know, with this idea of healing, this is, I think for, I don't know if it's harder for parents. I'm not sure. I wouldn't even gander to say, but you know, I will be honest and say, man, if I could push a button and heal her right now, yes, I yeah. would. And I think that as parents, we struggle with that idea because it can feel like if you're grieving your child's disability, you're grieving the, the reality of your child. Like sometimes right. I think that you feel the same, even though it's not. So a lot of parents, I think when they receive a diagnosis for their kiddo, they feel like, well, I'm supposed to be just happy. Like, I just have to be glad I have got a baby. I'm just got to be glad I've got this child. And yes, of course. But also like, this is the beauty of the gospel is, is joy and sorrow. Like we can have both and we can hold both fully and completely in each hand. But I think that's a process that you have to go through as a parent to say, um, just because I would maybe change this for my child doesn't mean that like I don't like my child or I grieve, yeah. but those things are very intertwined. Feeling I think as a parent, um, and so yeah, so that's honestly, and I don't know if that will ever change for me, and I'm okay if it. I don't know. May, you could tell me maybe it should.
0: No, I don't think. <laughs> I, I think that makes total sense because thinking of it from that perspective, like with my daughter, I know. I know that like her, her struggles, um, you know, having autism and, and the social anxiety and my wife has it as well. So it's something that they're able to relate on that and, and she's able to help her through it. They're, they're kind of both learning more and more about it, uh, over the last couple of years. But I, if I could take that away for both of them, I would, um, but I do, I like, I'm not, that maybe it's that like i'm not uh going to expect it necessarily because i i don't uh want to like you know uh, i don't want to get my hopes up i want to live in the in the the reality i have i want to hope for that um and if it happens great but if not my goal i feel like would is for both my daughter and my wife is to help them However, I can and and if there's some tools I can provide to help make social interactions easier or to help um, with anxiety or, you know, things like that, then I I will certainly do everything I can in my power to help um, and to to encourage them to use the their circumstances to help others as well. And to, you know, my wife has become really passionate on. Uh, like Facebook sharing all of these posts about autism and different uh, you know, like perspectives on all of it just to help, you know, share some information with, with uh, her Facebook community. But uh, yeah, I, I think that it's, it's totally normal and okay to, to, you know, if you could press a button to to <sighs> heal her right now to do it. I like uh, that makes total sense to me.
1: Yeah. and, and, and I think that you're totally right. Like I love hearing about your wife now has kind of this ministry of autism. And I feel like I, you know, I never thought I would ever be in this ministry with disabilities and feeling like the Lord has led me down this path to, to speak about the things I speak. about. I mean, even the fact that we're having this conversation, like that's because my daughter has intellectual disabilities. Like that is like just seeing the hand of God and how he's weaving things. And yeah. like what you're saying, I think, I think it's like we can hold both to be true, right? Like, yes, I would heal my daughter because I am an eternal being. I'm made for eternity. And I know that's long-term. I'm not designed, and my daughter's not designed to like maintain that disability. We're going to have new bodies. We're going to have new minds. And those The renewal of our bodies and minds is going to be an incredible day someday. And so I do think like the longing is right because I wasn't made for a fallen world. You know, we're just, we're living here and waiting until Christ returns. But then yet, like what you're saying i think wow we're here we can also say okay but i also see how i am a better person because of this in my life i can see how god is using it to transform not only my own likeness towards christ but also to be able to be a blessing to others the whole idea of like you know god comforts us so we can comfort others and that we can pass that along and i i look back and it's funny because if you ask me on one level hey as a mom would you fix it would you change it yes but you know, as a Christian, as a person who loves Jesus more than life, just to pieces, I would say whatever He has, you know, I would say whatever if He chooses to heal, please, Lord, do. But if You yeah. choose not to, please, Lord, you know, use our lives as living sacrifices. And I do think there's um, so much good that comes out of our sorrow and pain if we trust God with it, and if we are, are good to say, okay, I'm honest with how hard it is. I'm honest with how a difficult pain is, but also I trust in a good God who is living and active in this world and is sovereign overall. And that those things have to live in tension, right? Like, I just feel like life is full of so many tensions and we have to be able to say, okay, I can look at both and they can be wholly true.
0: Yeah. I love that so much. I, uh, I think that it, it's just such a, a powerful message. And I think that. um like you said, like if your daughter didn't have her her disabilities and you like we, and if I didn't have mine, then we never would have met like right. this would never be happening. So um, it, there's definitely beauty and all of that. Um, I want I have a final question. But before I get to that, where can people find you and what uh, like anything else you want to promote or plug? Oh, feel free. Okay. Yeah, That's
1: kind of you. Um, Yeah. So I am at Laura Whiffler on Instagram. That's pretty much the main place I hang out. I'm on Facebook too, I guess, but I don't spend too much time there. And then laurawiffler.com. That's where you can find all of my books. Um, Like me, is there the book we've been chatting about? And I have some books for moms. I run a ministry called Risen Motherhood. And Um, I'm the executive director there and the co-founder of the ministry. It's been around for about six years, but our whole hope is to help moms, you know, draw a big line from the Sunday morning sermon to that Monday morning snotty nose is help them connect their faith to their motherhood. So, um, you can find a lot of my work there and I have a book under the same name, Risen Motherhood and just different resources, depending on kind of what I'm interested in and where the Lord has me. So
0: awesome. Well, I am going to go order those for my wife. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I uh, I know that she she like reading parenting books and stuff like that is something that, you know, she's really passionate about. So she'll have some new reading material. Um, but uh, lastly, before I let you go, I always because we we talk a lot about struggles and, and obstacles that we have to overcome. I like to end on a positive note. Um, so I want to ask you, what do you love most about yourself? But also, since we've talked a lot about your daughter, what do you love most about your daughter?
1: Oh my goodness. Oh, I love this question. Um, you know, for myself, I think that I um one of my favorite things to do is just to be generous with whatever knowledge the Lord has bestowed in my life. And I am kind of an entrepreneur, like a chronic entrepreneurial entrepreneur. Um, I love business building, marketing, all that side of things. I feel like it doesn't always come out online, but here in town, my whole family, um, is full of entrepreneurs. And so I love getting to share knowledge with other people and being generous, generous with that. And, um, I've seen it, you know, work for good and I'm super thankful just that my parents instilled that in me since I was a young age and um that it's kind of a part of just who I am now and feeling like um we're better together and all ships rise it's just a it's like a big mentality for me and I think it's um paid off. I don't know. <laughs> and then my daughter, oh, where do I begin? Where do I begin? Oh, she she is so Um, nurturing and generous and kind with just her love. And what I mean by that is like you wake her up in the morning and she just comes in for like this big snuggle into your shoulder and just says, I love you, mom. I love you. You know? And it just like, just the mere fact that she can speak those words just blows my mind but also you know, she's just like, she is all in on that hug and she has a lot of empathy um, on the social scale. She's actually like a little bit above her age, which is really cool, really incredible. Um, and so if you are hurt, if you are sad, if you are angry, she also models those things and mirrors them back to you. Um, but she is just there and she is in it with you, every emotion that you have. And I think that is such a gift. And I just love thinking about how the Lord might use that for her. And that, you know, someday I think she's gonna be a huge blessing to people to just read their emotions and hopefully offer that back to them and offer them comfort. Um, I see it with her friends, I see it, I see her doing that with her siblings and. Um, it's really fun to just think about how that might grow and progress in her life. So
0: I love that so much. And I'm so grateful that y- she has you and that you have her and that yeah. both of you are using your circumstances to to inspire others, including myself. So thank you for that.
1: Oh th- Well, thank you for having me here. This is super fun.
0: Of course. Anytime and anytime you have like another book or anything, let me know okay. and we'll have you come yes. back on
1: keep chatting. I'm a I'm a serial entrepreneur, I remember. So I'm also meaning I let, write a lot of books. So be
0: warned. Okay, good to know. <laughs> yeah. I'm actually working on the the premise of my first book. So I may have to reach out and uh, get some get some pointers. So Are you
1: doing a, a book for adults or kids,
0: it'll be uh, for adults. I mean, it'll be kid friendly as well. But it's just kind of my own journey of uh, like an autobiography, just of self-acceptance and, uh, you know, starting out as a little kid, discovering my passion for acting and then, you know, getting to where we are today. So
1: that would be incredible. We'll I just see. I want to hear from more people who are living with disabilities and finding joy. And I just, I want to see more resources out there for adults and for kids. So that just makes yeah. me really happy. That you're I'll, I'll it.
0: send you one since you sent me you yours. Do. I'll send yes. you mine as well.
1: Do it. Send it to me for sure.
0: Will do. Awesome. Yeah. Well, you have a good day.
1: Thank you. You too. I appreciate just this opportunity. It's really awesome. And thanks for your work with the shows. You know, my husband and I are obsessed. We almost went to Feeding of the Five Thousand, but we oh, wow. could not make it down there. It was Bummer. the days were tough for us. But I wished we had been there. Like, yeah, we advocates. We're very happy.
0: There will be more crowd scenes, I'm sure. And I just read season four. If you like season three and if that was emotional, just wait until this season. So well, it's, I, uh,
1: I cried so many times. You guys cannot yeah. get more emotional on us. It's,
0: <laughs> it's getting, yeah, even heavier. And little James's storyline definitely, like with his disability and the pain that he's in, definitely uh continues this season. So wow. I'm, I'm really excited. It's That'd gonna be, really be
1: fun. Oh, you guys are doing great work. I was just on Thank takeaways you. with Kirk Cameron, you know. Oh um, yeah. And I know Dallas was going to be there like right after me. And I was literally like, how can I figure out how to stay and meet him? <laughs> <All> right. <laughs> I knew well, he was going to
0: be Well, yeah, we'll definitely like if you're ever in Texas, let me know and, and we'll figure out a way to to have you all come visit okay. set.
1: So, oh, I would just die. I would be so fun. I would love it.
0: We'll set it up.
1: Cool. 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 All right. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you.
0: It. I'll talk yeah. to you later. Right, Bye. Bye. So that was my conversation with Laura. I highly recommend uh, all of her books, but specifically Like Me, um, as well as Any Time, Any Place, Any Prayer. It's another children's book uh, that's really, really well written. I, I think that they're just excellent tools for children, whether um, they are able bodied or have some sort of disability, um, to either let them know that they're not alone or to let other children know that that uh, differences are not a bad thing and should be celebrated. So uh, I am so grateful for the work that she's doing. I'm so grateful that she took time out of her busy schedule to chat with me about her work. Um, and yeah, go give her a follow at Laura Wiffler on Instagram. You can also visit laurawiffler.com and that's spelled W-I-F-L-E-R and uh, you can keep up with all of her work there. Uh, and show her some love. Anyway, now is the time for me to talk about next week's guest. So, next week I am going to be chatting with uh, Rebecca Gregory. Now, Rebecca is a motivational speaker. Um, She is super inspiring uh, and she is actually one of the survivors of the Boston Marathon bombing. Uh, her body shielded her her son, uh, which saved his life, and uh, she ended up losing her leg in the process. But uh, the the bomb went off only three feet away from her, so it's a a, a miracle that that her and her son were survived. I'm so obviously so grateful that they did, um, because now she is using her her story and and the trauma that she experienced to. Uh, bring light and, and love and positivity to the world and to uh, help people learn to uh, stay positive and stay focused and to to keep moving forward uh, regardless of what what obstacles and hardships are in front of us. So I'm, I'm so excited for you to hear my conversation with Rebecca. Um, in the meantime, before that episode comes out, you can go give her a follow on Instagram as well, at Rebecca m gregory and it's rebecca spelled r-e-b-e-k-a-h and then m gregory uh and go give her a follow to uh you know uh, give to educate yourself on on the incredible work that she's been doing as well uh leading up to my episode with her so yeah i can't wait for you to hear that um in the meantime go give us a follow on social media at the Jordan Ross and at what's your limp Uh, on all platforms, uh, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, all of that stuff. Also, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to rate and review. Uh, That really, really helps us. And yeah, until next week, remember to love your limp, be good to yourselves, and y'all have a good one.